Now what we need is little Christmas music. Wait a second. Do you hear that? It's the theme from NBC's The Apprentice. Yes, but where is it coming from? Oh, dear God. Emma Rose is back. Take me back! I'll always love you, Doctor! Oh, we're gonna make this look so Merry Christmas. And live from New York, it's Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 9 of SNL with host Kevin Hart and musical guest Foo Fighters. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and defeated Alabama senatorial candidate Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Hart. A little bit of SNL-related news this week. Michael Che and Colin Jost have been appointed co-head writers. So a little bit of reshuffling, a little bit of realignment as SNL continues to try and find their groove in the writer's room. Any thoughts on this, Steve? Well, good for them, more or less. <laughs> yep. It's nice to see uh, Colin reclaiming that title right he did have that role in the past for whatever reason he stepped down now he's come back with his uh we get update partner which is cool Mm -hmm. obviously they're working really closely together and the chemistry is there you can see it on screen when they're when they're doing weekend updates so i I can see them working well together and it's it's great for michael uh who's relatively new to the show and to to comedy in general when you think about it this just seems like the the natural way that the show should be going. And as far as Colin Jost was concerned, I'm pretty sure he stepped down right around when he first got update. And I think, you know, I don't think there was any great controversy there. I think it just had more to do with that segment, not firing so great. And they were trying to find their groove and he just really needed to buckle down and, and sort of focus in on his performance and just really getting up to speed with weekend update rather than wearing too many hats and carrying too many responsibilities behind the scenes. So it is nice. Cause you never want to feel like <laughs> uh, he was passed over or something like that. It's just, they've reined in weekend update. They've turned it into something that's uh, really firing right now. So why not? Yeah, now that they've kind of created this thing that's now self-sustaining and working on its own, that does free up Colin to to take on the responsibilities he had before he had to focus more on that. Yep, yep, they've caught their stride. Everything's good. So this is news that I think we can all just uh, look at and say it bodes well for how the show is trying to just, you know, tighten up their game with the writing. And uh, I hope that it fosters some some good inventive material in the coming weeks. And that's in the... News. Really? This is how we're starting off the cast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough on that. We had a question posed via email from a listener named Rachel who asks, can you explain a little more about the featured players versus cast member system? Why does SNL have this kind of prove yourself waiting pen style category? Does it have to do with temporary contracts versus permanent contracts? If so, why tell us that these people are on trial? Why not privately organize short-term contracts? If you become a cast member, do you always call the shots on when you leave? I thought it would be neat to know a little more about that process and system. All right, so a lot to unpack there, but the overarching 
question is what is the whole repertory player versus featured player thing that SNL does all about? So do you want to just kind of walk us through the mechanics of that? Yeah. I mean, we can walk down that road and, and kind of say what it generally is, but it can be arbitrary at times. Yeah. It does generally mean that a featured player as opposed to a repertory would be expected to carry less of the weight of the show. And it's more or less kind of a second round of auditions after you've made it onto the show. Then you get your residency. (laughs) If we're using a doctor analogy and you know, sometimes you see some keeners that make a splash and they're given more a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. We have a couple of examples of featured players right now that are treated more like repertory players in terms of scream time and, and notability. Mm -hmm. So that would be the mechanics of it. Sure. With the caveats of how it can kind of be a a blurry line. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very blurry line because throughout the ages of SNL, it's meant different things. Sometimes the show embraces that kind of format as far as how they announce the players. And at other times it just wasn't even part of how things were presented uh, to the viewers. Yeah. It doesn't really have that much to do with contracts actually. And I think that's kind of where Rachel thought, the the whole concept came from because uh, at least currently when players are brought into SNL, typically they have somewhere in the the range of a seven year contract and it's always at the whim of SNL to decide how long they're actually at the show. SNL can keep them around or they can spin them off or they can just let them go. And that really isn't up to the player to decide though. Generally speaking, the show is pretty good about uh, severing ties if if it's obvious that things aren't a mutual fit and maybe the player doesn't want to be there. So there's all sorts of contract stuff that way, but that really isn't what determines whether you're a repertory player or a featured player. It really just comes down to how little can we pay you for your first couple of years at the show. If you're coming into the cast, they don't know really what you're going to be able to bring, if you're going to click with the audience, and if you're just really going to be able to help elevate the show. And so during those first couple seasons where you're just showing what you got, you haven't really earned that extra credit, that, that extra title. And so they just hold that back as a recognition of when the show has said, okay, yeah, we think that you are a long-term player and we want to acknowledge that. We want to kind of announce that to the world. And that's, that's sort of when people get bumped up. So that's just kind of, (laughs) kind of how, how things ebb and flow at the show. But the, the real bottom line here, Rachel is there aren't that many hard and fast rules about it. Uh, and there hasn't been that much consistency with how the repertory versus featured player system is implemented year over year. Sometimes people are bumped up after a few episodes. Sometimes people are bumped up after a few seasons. It just really is the show deciding that they want to acknowledge that a, a player has really stepped up and that they, they've advanced to the the inner circle kind of a thing <laughs> with the cast. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's not really a, a whole lot of other insights on it because uh, it, it really is just a behind the scenes kind of thing. And unless you're on the show, you don't know all the, you know, the politics and conversations that go into determining when people get brought up or get held back or, you know, whatever. So hopefully we touched on a couple aspects of that process that help illuminate the whole thing for you, Rachel. Maybe not, (laughs) but uh, that's the best we can do with that. And with that said, why don't we get into the episode recap? Let's splash ready. All right. First up, cold open. In a special Christmas message, Trump and co decorate their tree of shame. They've got some very crowded cold opens going on whenever they're you know, in the White House with Trump, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the tree of shame is, you know, a structure that they can 
go from scandal to scandal in a quick, you know, few minutes. Right. It works. I mean, it's it's kind of very ADHD in in energy <laughs> and uh, pace. Sure. It was a little bit jumbly, a little bit too messy, uh, but it was enjoyable overall. I thought. Okay. Yeah, this was a a clever way of sort of being able to do a year in review. This is one year of Trump just laid out in front of us end to end, scandal to scandal. Uh, That had some value, but my overall thought on it was not terribly inspired. It's the same beats and jokes that we've already established with each of the characters, and uh, they didn't really do anything terribly inventive, you know. There wasn't a whole lot that we haven't seen a lot of times before. So this wasn't really working for me. I respect what they were trying to do. I just felt like it didn't really flow or or build the way that I would have liked it to. Right. Seems like they're making it a thing almost to have Kate McKinnon (laughs) do some quick costume changes between some of her impressions. Do double duty. Yeah. If it's going to put some stress on poor Kate, I don't think it's worth it, but (laughs) it is kind of interesting to see it done. Oh yeah, I I think she's up for the challenge. I I don't think it's really somehow uh, you know burdening her to do a quick change behind the scenes. But those kind of in-house production things that are fun, they don't necessarily make a sketch better. It's amusing to see the same player come out after a quick change. There is something uh, a little bit exhilarating about that, but I don't think it's enough to save a lackluster sketch that really is just covering ground that we've <laughs> been down too many times this season. So yeah. the show leans heavily on Kate for these kind of sketches, but I don't think there was really a whole lot that a, a quick change could do to make this one special. So not a win for me. Yeah. Wasn't uh wasn't a win for me either. All right. Well, let's take a look at our monologue. See if there's anything there. Kevin Hart just had his third baby and he has some thoughts. Here's some fresh stand-up from Kevin Hart. Did you think there was anything worthwhile here? Thought it was worthwhile. Yeah. I enjoy Kevin Hart as a comedian. Mm-hmm. It, it can be arguably predictable, and um, you know he does have a very specific character he does on stage. Right. But yeah, I thought he did a perfect run-through of the material. There were no, uh, no hiccups. It was a totally flawless delivery of what he went out to do. So in terms of execution, definitely a win. Okay. Yeah, he definitely delivered the material competently. I just personally didn't find the material to be that fantastic. We've had a lot of good stand-up on the show. Even this season, Kumail Nanjiani did a pretty stunning monologue. And uh, even Tiffany Haddish, she came out, you know, all energy and fury. And it was kind of hard to not be won over by her. I felt like Kevin Hart, as competent as as it was, I, I just don't feel like he brought anything terribly funny. A whole lot of setup, a whole lot of energy. He's moving around the stage. He's gesturing. He's, you know, he's enthusiastic. There's a lot of performance there, but I felt like we're just getting a whole lot of setup for pretty weak payoffs with his material. So I just kind of felt like it was middle of the road material delivered exceptionally well. I think that's probably my, my uh, hot take on it. Well, I thought you'd be able to relate to it more than me (laughs) because it's all about having kids, which I've never done. Sure. You've dabbled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, uh, I definitely could relate. There's a lot of truth in what he was saying. It's just pretty conventional type of material, like observations about how kids have more energy than grownups and parenting can be flummoxing and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is amusing. I just don't think it's like really, really hilarious material. It's observational and it gets a grin, but it doesn't get a belly laugh, I think is kind of what I'm saying. Fair enough. I could see the argument for all that. One of my favorite moments of the whole thing was the bit about the old fathers. 
And uh, just the imagery that he was creating with that <laughs> was hilarious about the passing back the basketball. And right, right. You could just see that car seat sliding over and the, the baby hitting her head <laughs> off the window. That was my favorite bit. Yeah, no, there was some fun in it. Good observations. I just wasn't rolling on the floor laughing. And, and with some of our stand up, it really, really is impactful. And this one just didn't move me the same way. So I, I don't think this is a loss. I thought it was perfectly good. It just really didn't excite me the way that some of our recent stand-up hosts have been able to do. So marginal win for me. Okay. Moving on. We kick off the night with a pre-tape. The gift every woman desires, a beautiful charm from Pandora. Appropriately holiday themed. What'd you think? (laughs) This is exactly how I reacted when I was given a charm bracelet for my birthday (laughs) by an ex-girlfriend some years ago. Okay. Everything they said was completely spot on (laughs) paring down just like trivial aspects of your life as if it's part of your identity. (laughs) And they're just so ugly in the first place. Like there's nothing about it. That's positive. Yeah. Other than the good intentions of the person giving it to you, Mm -hmm. which is why you have to grin and bear it and say, Oh, it's so nice. I hope you enjoyed the threesome. (laughs) It's yeah. It's just one of those things. Sure. Yeah. It's just not terribly thoughtful. It's, oh yeah, I'm at the CVS pharmacy. What can I pick up, (laughs) you know, on my way home kind of a gift. They've explored that territory in a few past pre-tapes and I always find them amusing because it's very truthful and the players are very good at capturing those moments of disappointment and uh, just the way that they can edit a pre-tape tends to play that up really well. And so I always, I always have a a few uh, moments of amusement watching these scenes play out and uh, just the acting I think from the players is, is what makes these kind of things work. So this was good. I enjoyed it. I didn't think this was spectacular. This isn't a pre-tape for the books, but this was a fun way to kick off the night's material. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Fun, fun. Moving on. We get a live sketch. Doug has an explosively urgent family emergency. <laughs> oh, the bodily fluids are just <laughs> running wild in SNL studios. <laughs> Everybody likes to see a struggle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever the nature of the struggle may be, it's always a fun inner conflict. <laughs> sure. Literally inner. You could have a lot of fun with this sketch if your suspension of disbelief game is like, running really strong because the logic doesn't really quite work. (laughs) If you think about it for too long, you know, it's basically what we're seeing is Kevin Hart's character trying to prove he doesn't have to go to the bathroom by ignoring a family emergency. Right. (laughs) Which (laughs) doesn't seem like a a reasonable reaction from anyone. Even someone trying to hide what they're trying to hide in this sketch. Yeah. He's clinging to this fiction beyond all reason. And his coworkers were never really even, snowed by him in the first place, but it's so important to him to not lose face that he's willing to sit there and have this biological breakdown in the, in, in the middle of this meeting, just to cling to that fiction that I think is a a pretty fun setup for a sketch. Yeah. Yeah. And we've all seen somebody dig themselves into a 10 foot hole. (laughs) Right. When it's clear to everyone at this point, admitting it is the most dignified thing yes. you could do. <laughs> yeah. Clearly everybody is not convinced by the charade and yet he sticks to it. Right. The fun of watching someone stew in their own lies. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I felt like this sketch from a writing standpoint was a little bit smarter than your typical gross out sketch. I thought that the moment when the music starts to swell 
and all of his coworkers try to help him on his terms, like basically invest in the fiction and receive these fictitious phone calls from his family to try and help him get out of the hot seat. Literally. Yeah. That little twist there I felt was really amusing. It was very sincere and a little heartwarming, which is kind of bizarre for them to be able to well up some genuine emotion in a sketch like this. So I thought that that was a fun little avenue that they took it down. I thought it worked really well and it was a good way to, advance the sketch and get them out of it. So this was, I think, well-paced, clever, and just a little cut above what you typically get from a, a gross-out sketch. So win for me. Yeah. And I also wanted to say that that Spartacus moment was a great way to, to segue out. Sure. I especially loved how everybody's fake phone progressively got less convincing. Yes. <laughs> yep. You see Beck literally with the thumb and forefinger out. Right. At least Kate is pretending to hold something. Yeah. And this guy's so desperate. He's willing to buy it yeah. just to have that out. It's hilarious. They're helping him to save face and it's just, it's kind of strangely endearing. Yeah. Moving on. We get another pre-tape. Captain Shadow and the Cardinal are pulled over for speeding. What'd you make of this? I thought it was pretty good uh, social commentary. Mm-hmm. We've all are aware of, of the treatment of people of color by the police at times and um, definitely makes for some frustrating news stories. So when you take Batman, which is clearly what they're mirroring here, Mm -hmm. and turn him into a black version of that character, then all of a sudden Batman isn't getting a pass on, you know, breaking the (laughs) speed limit to go catch the Joker. Right. Because all of a sudden it's like, hey, 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 now what's this, what's this guy up to? So uh, the immediate suspicion. Right. This is what it would look like, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's all very true. And I think there is a, a measure of social commentary in it. I don't think that they were digging deep on the social commentary. I think that the, the true impetus of it probably had more to do with just the fun of exploring what it would really be like for a superhero in the real world where he isn't kind of like you said, going to be given any special treatment where, you know, if you're speeding, you're speeding. And if you're in a car with an underage boy, they're going to look at you a little weird in, in spandex, no less. So I thought that they were just kind of looking a little broader at turning superhero tropes on their head and just pointing out that, yeah, if you're going 140, you're going to get stopped by the police. And why doesn't that ever happen in a superhero movie? Like why are they never held to account for like the, the trail of destruction (laughs) that they, they leave behind when they pursue the bad guys. Uh, I think there was something funny about that. I particularly liked Chris red in this. I thought that this was his sketch just because of how enthusiastic and kind of like infectiously positive he was as the sidekick. Yeah. That is a very Robin trait. Uh, I thought that was a, a really neat character beat that made the sketch a lot more fun than I think it would have been otherwise. So I applaud him. I think that, that he really made this one work. Keenan's always good, but when you have Chris red in the background, basically doing acrobatics because he's so enthusiastic every time he speaks, there's a, like a punch sound effect or like a wind swoosh sound effect following, you know, his, his flailing gestures. The fact that they heightened him as much as they did as the sidekick, I thought really made this a lot of fun. So uh, I think this was pretty good. I, again, this is not groundbreaking stuff. I, I don't think we've seen anything tonight so far that was amazing or super memorable, but this is all serviceable stuff. This to me was a, a pretty solid pre-tape. I agree about Chris red. Mm-hmm. What I really liked about it was that they took Robin basically Mm-hmm. and threw in a little Power Rangers sure. just to amp up the yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the comedic value. And it, it worked really well, mm-hmm. especially with all those sound effects. Right, right. Yeah, this was charming, clever, fun. 
Uh, not super duper funny, but I walked away from it saying, yeah, that was worthwhile. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm about the same. Yeah, good enough. Let's take a look at our next live sketch. We get inside the NBA. Shaq's insanity derails a cable sports talk show. We get a few shades of Jay Farrow in uh, Kevin Hart's performance here, I think. Did this work? Did we want to see a new incarnation of Shaq? Uh, I didn't even want to see one when Jay started doing it. <laughs> okay. For me, the best Shaq impression will always be Aries Spears from Mad TV. Okay. No one's ever gotten the subtlety of of Shaq's strangeness <laughs> like uh, like Aries Spears did. Uh, don't get me wrong. Jay Farrow's was great. He got the, the cross-eyed bit perfectly. <laughs> right. But- Kevin Hart's not really known as an impressionist mm-hmm. and you know, it is funny to see people not known for it. Give it a shot. Sometimes mm-hmm. SNL does that a lot, but yeah, it just reminded me of all the better impressions I've seen and the lines that he was given. It wasn't much different from what you would have seen Jay do on, on weekend update. So right. it felt a little bit uninspired and, and low energy to me. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I'm in lockstep with you on that. I didn't feel like we needed to revisit the character dynamic of Shaq versus Charles Barkley. That was never, like you said, one of the stronger weekend update features that we've had. So yeah, I wasn't like enthusiastic to see a new outing and this played out pretty much like any one of those weekend update features. So they didn't cover a whole lot of new ground except for the showdown at the end, which kind of really didn't go anywhere anyways. So there just wasn't a whole lot here to, to hang on to just a few good one-liners from Keenan, and that's about it. And well, obviously, you know, Shaq's absurd stream of consciousness kind of delivery of some of that insanity. There was some amusement there, but not enough to hang a sketch on. So for me, this, this didn't work so well. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Let's not dwell on it. Let's talk a little bit about the Foo Fighters because they hold a special place in your heart. Oh, that I can dwell on. Okay. Sure. So tonight we get The Sky is a Neighborhood for their first performance. And then for a more festive themed second outing, we get a medley of Everlong followed by Christmas Baby Please Come Home. And then finally, Linus and Lucy, the theme from the old Peanuts movies. What'd you think? Was this fun? Yeah. Absolutely. Foo Fighters, as I mentioned on a previous cast, they were my favorite band growing up. And they're one of those acts that seem to get better with age, which is the opposite for a lot of other groups you see out there. Right. Their live game is tighter than it's ever been. The new album's good. Skies of the Neighborhood's a great, uh, great single. And the medley was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. My hot take was uh, Dave Grohl's growl. Just, it seems to get a little better with age. These performances felt just so polished and effortless. And and like you said, it's just, it's a band that is just tight. Yeah. One of the best bands working right now, for sure. As a musician myself, I play drums and I've been in bands that have covered the Linus and Lucy (laughs) uh, motif from Peanuts. Yep. And you know what? It's, one of the most fun things to play in a bed, <laughs> like to put a rock edge onto it and yep. kind of jam it out. I think most garage rock bands have done this. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was actually a song that we screwed around with as well in one of my former well, garage band type outings. Like you said, uh, probably a lot of bands have tinkered with that just because it's, it's fun and it's always a crowd pleaser because people instantly recognize it. So yeah, Foo Fighters, win for me. Foo Fighters. <laughs> Let's talk weekend update. 
for their lead in this week. It's all about Roy Moore's defeat in Alabama. Uh, did they find some good material on this topic or were we left wanting? <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of nailed how everybody's feeling in, in one term. And that's not Roy Moore. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you don't have to know this guy's name because we're just happy. It's not the child molester. Exactly. And uh, they, uh, they seem to hit that from a few different angles, but yeah, that was the takeaway. So as things progress through the opening salvo, we get a walk on from Omarosa and she's there to set the record straight about her white house firing. Did you want to see Leslie come back after kind of establishing that character in the cold open? Did this work? Yeah, it was a, uh, it was pretty neat that they acknowledged it. It was like, Oh, you're still here. <laughs> right. It ties the whole show together as, as a cohesive arc. Right. I like that they match the whole energy of her by not bringing her out in a chair. Uh, she comes out and stands, which, you know, makes her loom over Michael Che a little bit, kind of gives her that upper hand that she's trying to mm-hmm. force on everyone. <laughs> right. That worked for the piece for sure. Yep. Yeah. I thought this was fun. I'm glad it was quick. After Omarosa, we get Alex Moffat back as the guy who just bought a boat to offer some holiday dating tips. Yeah, this was a little bit of a different approach to this character. Mm -hmm. This is the first time he's actually stayed on the subject that he's supposed to talk about. Okay. (laughs) First couple of times he just went on to his boat and they're like, are you going to talk about, you know, the dating thing? So they've changed it a bit. They made him a lot more grosser. They've definitely taken it up a notch Mm -hmm. and uh, seemed like something went awry in the middle of it off camera. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, I noticed that Alex fumbled a little bit at one point. He needed to restart a line or there was, yeah, there was something a little off with, with the rhythm at one point, but I didn't read too much into it. Cause just, you know, live performance, there's, there's always going to be little beats that just don't flow quite perfectly. Yeah. But I, I don't know if there was anything more to it than that. At one point you could see Colin Jost go, Ooh. And at that same time, Alex kind of pauses for a second. Oh, Okay. It sounds like somebody dropped a cue card <laughs> Okay, and he had to wait until they picked it back up because he wasn't sure where he was. All right. And that kind of made him slip up a little bit more afterwards. Yeah. Go back and watch that little moment that I'm talking about. You might, you might notice. Yeah. I do know the moment that you're talking about. I just didn't bother dwelling on it. Like there was definitely a fumble there and there definitely was a, a little bit of a gap there where they're regrouping. I just read it as, oh, okay, he jumped a line or he he just wasn't scanning the cue card right and lost his place. Like that's kind of what I thought happened, but you know, who knows <laughs> live performance. These <laughs> show me a sketch tonight where there wasn't a fumbled line. <laughs> we, we had a lot of that in this episode. So I just really wasn't hanging on it. I just was willing to accept it for the live performance that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so overall let's uh, bottom line this. Did we want to see him? Was this fun? I had fun with it. It wasn't my favorite outing for a guy who just bought a boat, mm-hmm. but, uh, he's fun for a while. I could see him kind of being phased out. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll see him one or two more times and that'll be it. That's what I would predict. I don't feel like he's played out. I felt like this was as fun outing as any of the other ones. I thought this was probably the highlight of weekend update this week. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that special? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So fun for me. I, I thought this worked. All right. Back half of the show. We get a live sketch. A ruddy llama steals the scene in Rock Harbor's annual nativity play. We're just all in on the teenage boy humor <laughs> that's kind of uh, infusing tonight's show. Uh, what'd you make of this one? 
it's fun to get some animals on stage and stuff. <laughs> and they found a good way to establish this premise really quickly and, and get to the meat of it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of awkward at times when you watch performers react as if an animal is being threatening and dangerous <laughs> yep. when it's just really just standing there minding its own business. Right. It's heavily sedated llama. <laughs> yeah. You got to be a pretty good actor to like kind of compensate for the, your scene partner who's not really putting in the effort. <laughs> right. But yeah, other than that, you know, it was a funny idea. It's hilarious to, to expect that of performers to like deal with, you know, unpredictable elements while trying to stage a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, that's all, uh, that's all right on. I wasn't loving this to be honest. Like you, I felt it was pretty awkward to watch all the boys recoil in terror from this llama that is barely awake. I felt like that, (laughs) that really didn't serve the sketch because it it does pull you out of it. You're like, what, you know, this, this doesn't make any sense. They they're screaming the safe word or whatever at the llama and the llama is not even acknowledging that there's anyone else on stage with it. So that really kind of pulled me out of it, but I felt like just conceptually and, and just overall the, the whole premise seemed a little weak. It really just comes down to, uh, Leslie Jones being the odd man out and that she's the only one that's really kind of like enraptured by what's going on behind the blanket, uh, with the llama. And I just didn't feel like that was a really smart payoff for the amount of sketch that it took to get there. And, uh, it just, it really didn't win me over. I just didn't have a lot of fun with this. Yeah. And, uh, it almost bordered on bestiality towards the end with that implication of the closing line. Sure. (laughs) I'm not that surprised after seeing what SNL is willing to do with a dolphin. So, uh, yeah, fair enough. All right. So after that, we get another live sketch. Gene's domineering wife, crystal humiliates him at his employee's Christmas party. This was kind of like a, a train wreck. You know, this was just one of those painful spectacles Mm -hmm. for the lack of a better term. Sure. I don't know if I should be laughing at this or, or looking away. It was definitely a, <laughs> an uneasy feeling throughout this sketch. Yeah. I, uh, I wasn't loving it. And for me, the problem wasn't Kevin Hart's character. Like I thought he had a really good, uh, way of presenting that sort of like abused husband character. Yeah. I thought his performance was good. I just couldn't figure out what was supposed to be funny about it. Is it just the character study of the emasculated husband? Is it supposed to be the humiliation of him having to hump a giant teddy bear in front of his employees? Is it, you know, where was the joke? And I just couldn't quite put my finger on what was supposed to be amusing about it. And because it's so awkward <laughs> to watch, yeah. uh, it just kind of keeps pulling you out of it before you can find anything to really latch onto and be amused by. So yeah. to me, this just, yeah, this didn't work. This didn't work at all. And that's not your fault because yeah, all of those options you just listed, they, they were all elements, Mm -hmm. but they didn't hold focus on any one of them long enough to know what it was we were supposed to focus on exactly as the actual humor. So yeah, it's kind of needed to get to know itself a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately this sketch lost the audience before it got to the funny and that's the problem. Uh, it, it already kind of had you on edge and not feeling like laughing by the time they got to anything that might've warranted a laugh. So yeah, yeah, not a win moving on. Finally, our 10 to one sketch PBS reunites the original cast of active Jack. Now, before we jump into this, I just want to give a quick tip of the hat to Jonathan Jordan, one of our patrons who 
pointed out that this was actually a sketch that Keenan had pitched way back in the day for a Bruno Mars episode where Bruno Mars would have played the Kevin Hart role. And uh, with that said, what'd you think? Was this a win? I thought it was a, a lot of fun yeah. and I would consider it a win for sure. You can see this coming a mile away as soon as they say <laughs> 45 years later, here they are to do a number specifically about being active and, and exercise. Yeah. You just know how that's going to go. Yeah, I thought this was fun. I, I thought it was amusing that they let the whole title sequence song play out, you know, the 1970s version of it. They let that run from end to end before they give you any hint of where the sketch is going. I just felt like that was probably the most satisfying way to unroll the sketch. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun to see the older versions, to see Melissa Villasenor in memoriam <laughs> on a stool in contrast to her younger skipping self uh just yeah a few fun little moments that i i thought were amusing so for a 10 to 1 sketch i'm gonna give this one a win yeah it's a it's a win for sure yep and let's um give props to kate for another quick costume change now notice that there was no neck waddle they didn't have time to really do her up to like full debet goldry level of agedness uh but yeah the wig it's all you need Uh, oh they're not gods that would be uh, (laughs) a little too ambitious i think yeah. Yeah. This worked. This was fun. I, uh, I thought this was very amusing and fitting for our 10 to one. Yeah, me too. Now, rather than squeeze in another sketch, they decide to stick with tradition and have all the cast go down to the ice rink, uh, down by the, the big tree out in front of 30 rock and, uh, just have a little skate party to, uh, round out the night. Was this fun? Did you want them to go in this direction or would you have preferred another sketch? Uh, well, the way the show was going, I don't know how great their 10 to 1 was going to be if they had one. This was nice to see the cast kind of just goof around and be themselves. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see them, you know, have some fun and engage in activities, even if not everybody could skate. <laughs> Keenan, to his credit, was pulling out some of his uh, Mighty Ducks <laughs> skills. Uh, he was uh, He was floating like a feather across that rink. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's our episode recap. So let's uh, talk moment of the night. My moment of the night was that from that pre-tape with Captain Shadow and the Cardinal. Mm-hmm. This is the second time actually that Chris Red has gotten a moment of the night from me <laughs> just by the delivery of a line. Sure. You know, he was on fire this whole sketch, but when it kind of got into the implication of an inappropriate relationship <laughs> between the two of them, yeah. that's what takes the cake for me as my moment. My moment is from the same sketch, not, not that exact moment, but I thought that there was a really fun moment where Chris Red is now in the background behind the car while Keenan is being uh, worked over by the cop. And at one point, just in a fit of sheer enthusiasm, he does kind of like a leg kick out to the side and then they marry that with the whoosh sound effect or whatever. That just caught me off guard, just how animated his performance was and, and how much fun that character was. Right. That I think that was kind of like a highlight moment for Chris Red's character. And in a night where we didn't have a whole lot of highs, this was, I think, probably one of the few moments where I kind of like genuinely like laughed out loud, like where it really surprised me. Uh, so that's my moment. That's a good moment. Yeah. Best sketch. That same uh, pre-tape is going to be my, my best sketch as well. Captain Shadow and the Cardinal. Sure. Okay. That, for some reason, seemed to be working the best tonight. Uh, yeah, it was a, a good pace, and I felt it ended strongly. Sure. And I think that's pretty much the only sketch you could say from top to bottom was serviceable. 
Okay. Yeah, this was kind of tricky because, uh, again, it wasn't a night with a whole lot of really like high moments where there was like a decisive sketch (laughs) that really stood out. But the first half of the show did have a couple wins. And I thought that Doug trying to convince his coworkers that he had a legitimate family emergency rather than simply needing to use the restroom. I thought that that was a fun sketch that was pretty well executed end to end and had a fun turn in the middle where everybody tries to support him on his terms and, and help him out of this awkward situation. I just, I I was kind of charmed by that, which is bizarre for such a (laughs) a scatologically oriented sketch, but uh, (laughs) yeah, right. It was working for me. So I'm going to give it to that. Yep. And I considered it as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you did. I also considered his, uh, his stilted exit to be a a potential moment of the night as well. (laughs) That was some great, uh, pantomime. Uh, yeah, he committed to his clinching. Uh, he definitely sold that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Okay. MVP. MVP. It's going to have to be, I would have to say it's a Keenan Thompson (laughs) night for me. Yep. The veteran on the team. Sure. He's never disappointing to me. He had so much great stuff tonight. And uh, had some really great moments that I think overall, he was the guy that made tonight the most fun for me. Yep. For me, it came down to either him or Cecily. And uh, I think he takes it. He was really the most kind of like stable player tonight that was able to make a few lackluster sketches passable just simply because of of his ability to (laughs) just, you know, win you over with his, his energy and his enthusiasm. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think this is a Keenan Knight. It's a Keenan double feature. All right. Big question on a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? <laughs> oh man, this one, is, this one hurts. Mm. This is a tough one because I don't want to be heard on it. It was fun, but it was also clunky and, uh, at times uninspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it just wasn't hitting the highs as frequently as you'd like mm-hmm. an hour and a half of television to hit like we had the Foo Fighters, which was great. You know, we had a decent monologue. We had a decent opening, but even in the decent stuff, there was some weakness as well. Mm -hmm. And it only soared to some real highs a couple of times. So I think I'm settling on a weak Mm -hmm. rating for this episode. Yeah. I'm going with weak as well. It was a weak show. I mean, there, (laughs) there's not really that much that has to be said. There was a couple sketches that genuinely did kind of bottom out, whether it was just the fumbliness of them or the awkwardness or uncomfortableness of them. I'm thinking specifically about that Gene and his domineering wife, Crystal sketch. That was really hard just to get through. And we haven't had a whole lot of sketches this season that just put me off that much where I just really didn't want to watch the sketch. (laughs) We have had a few lows, but tonight we had a concentration of low moments that the, the good moments did not outweigh the bad. And I feel it puts it squarely into weak territory. Squarely. Yeah. All right. It's a shame when we have to, uh, (laughs) when we have to go out on such a bleak note, but we do have to be fair and try to be as honest as we can. So as much as we love the show and we always hope for a great episode, they can all be great. And, uh, tonight definitely was not. (laughs) Oh, Uh, if I had more time, I'd probably go back and insert in some, uh, game show loser music, but I have been a little bit crunched for time lately, so I'm not going to be doing anything spectacular in the edit this week. So that's pretty much all I have to say about it. You got anything else? No, I think we covered it. All right. That's a cast. 
Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back next year when SNL returns in January with host Sam Rockwell and musical guest Halsey. This has been episode number 37 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to the Foo Fighters, Alec Baldwin, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, guys, amazing show. Heaven, Hendricks, Kenzo, Eniko, I love you. Amazing day. Happy holidays. I'm so happy. Good night, everybody. Good night. Doug, uh, did you just S your piece? Probably not. Oh, Doug. Doug, Doug. Ring, ring. Oh, hey, Doug, it's for you, man. It's your Nana. It's Nana? Yeah, Doug. She called me, too. She said it's an emergency. An emergency? Yeah, she said to, to meet her on the fifth floor bathroom. And that there's a shower there too, just FYI.